not to say that this says everything, but you're 29 and driving a Ferrari. Not to put it out there, but you're 29 driving a Ferrari. That was the life that I thought and I wish I could be living right now. Now you're owning two companies. And I'm like backtracking in my own mind and thinking, like, dang, what did what did I do that didn't get me to to that point? You're listening to the Taylor Coup Podcast. Join me as we do a deep dive into my passions and learning lessons in entrepreneurship, real estate, business, sports, art, and so much more. I hope you enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Taylor Coup Show. I bring on experts in their fields and their respective field just because I want to learn from them. And you know, today's guest, probably one of the most special guests I've had, considering I've known this guy since high school. And like, when I say I've known this guy since high school, I was always so impressed with how good he was with girls. I, <laughs> you're smiling over here. Like, why is this guy giving me this intro right now? But in reality, though, he started off cold calling clients to being chief of staff over at Shifts, helping close 140 million in Series D funding for a startup. To now founding two companies called Open Rec and Flexwork, on track to doing two million this year in revenue. I want to give a very, 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 very warm welcome to my good friend, Kyle Morioka. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks for having me. Uh, is it the, the dating advice podcast? I might be in the <laughs> wrong spot. Yeah. You know, honestly, we you could have started that podcast way back when we were in high school. I was so bad at talking to people and talking to girls, but then I just saw you and you were always so confident in everything you did. And then I remember, was it high school that you drove a Porsche? Sorry, not to not to subtle flex for you, but was it was that high school when you drove a Porsche, or was it, oh uh, it was BMW? Yeah, BMW. And I Porsche always, and then Porsche was in college. Okay, I always was, and it wasn't even the, the fact that you had those, but the way that you carried yourself was always extremely impressive to me because it didn't seem like you were trying to go out and and impress other people. You were just really. You just had this very strong fascination with cars this, mm-hmm. and, and just what you were doing. And and I wanted to go back, even just back to the beginning. Where do you think that confidence stemmed from? Hmm. I guess deep, deep down in my genetics somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> You're just naturally. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm trying to, trying to think if there is a... Any like major events that changed my behavior? I actually, in grade school, I was fairly shy. I, I had friends, but I just didn't have, um, you know, a lot of them. And quite frankly, I, I was kind of more focused in like doing well in school, at least for like middle school. High school, I stopped caring a little bit more. And then college, like that went out the window. And I was just like <laughs> surprised I didn't even graduate college at that point. Um, but yeah, but I guess, uh, you know, I guess doing well in school kind of gave me, I guess, some confidence in the beginning when I was a lot younger. And then plus, you know, with my, like, I used to skateboard, you know, I used to skateboard for like seven years. I think that also kind of gave me a lot of exposure to all, a lot of different characters and I met new people through the skating community. Um, so I guess just, you know, meeting new faces and knowing how to deal with different people. I think that gave me a lot more confidence in just talking with you know anyone that I meet. Were you top of your class as well at CP? Uh, I wouldn't say top of my class, like maybe like top five percent in terms of like GPA. Mm, okay, uh, and yeah. and the reason why I ask this, and this is also 
what I've been so fascinated with, especially just like within your journeys, you've been able to, uh, I mean, essentially manage very large projects and also large groups of people without, I guess, being top of your class. Not saying that that's a bad thing or anything like that, but it, it it's just impressive to me to be able to have that type of um, authority and then also confidence in yourself to be able to manage some of those projects like that. And so when you graduated college then at Berkeley and then transitioned over to Shift, can you elaborate on how you got to that position in particular to even just like being chief of staff over there? Yeah. So when I was wrapping up my senior year at Cal, I was working uh, at Shift part-time. I, I had a friend there. He referred me. And Shift was a uh, Super early stage startup at the time. This is back in like 2015. And um, I remember just going to their warehouse of cars in South SF. Um, I had a suit on because my friend thought it was funny that he told me that I had to wear a suit for dress code. But I was new to startups and you never wear a suit to a startup. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, nice. so that being a red flag in their interview process just after talking with the hiring manager about it, like, you know, year, years later. But um that's how I initially started just like literally the role was a car enthusiast where I would drive cars out to cut like customers homes they test drive like a Honda Civic or something and then be able to buy on the spot like that was the whole business model um so I did that for fun on the weekends and I think that helped me build a lot of credibility like within the team and within the company which made that transition like post Cal a lot easier for me to join as like a, as a manager. Huh? I didn't, I didn't realize that you started off as like car enthusiast. And then I'm assuming, cause I mean, did you intentionally want to get into that side of startups like out, outside of college or was it just like, Oh, this is fun. And then it just happened to be what the next, what three or four years of your career just jumping from like Lyft to, Rivian to yeah the other one yeah uh yeah my my primary motivation for joining them early on was yeah I guess startups were new and it was like kind of like the trending thing right like people at school were either going through like going to finance and um at, at the time I was also working full-time during the week at Morgan Stanley so I was kind of try trying to get my feet wet in different like kind of career paths and understanding what I what I liked um and didn't like um, so shift was mainly just like a lot of fun for me, just given like, again, like I, I like cars. Um, I got to drive so many different cars from like Honda Civics to like, you know, BMW M3s and all these other different models. Um, so that was always interesting to me. And I never really thought of it as a job on the weekends. Like I go out and like have fun and meet, like, you know, talk with the cool team members and then drive cars and talk to customers about the cars. So it, it was, it was mostly fun for me. Huh. And that's <laughs> no, I, I'm laughing because it's it's it it when when I when I talk to you and, and we've had several different conversations offline like before this podcast, it, it seems like everything just like comes very easy, easy to you. And and it's it and it's not not in a bad sense to where it's like oversimplified, but it's like you just really enjoy it. 
And because of the work that you enjoy, it's not like you're overtly thinking like and trying to make things extremely complicated. Like it's just very simple that you enjoy this, you do the work and um it and and you strategically work your way, I guess, through startup different startup companies because because you ended up just like sticking with the whole startup strategy then afterwards then right like with jumping because lyft didn't go is lyft public now actually i didn't even know yeah i joined like a little bit before ipo i, I wouldn't say it was a a startup at that point because it had probably at least a thousand or so people but it was still like a environment where yeah things are pretty chaotic still and uh my role was very different too, because I was I was working on a smaller team in a different department than like the overall rideshare business. But was was that the strategy to 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 try and get equity then before the IPO, and then stick with them until let's say your your shares were vested? That was part of it. Yeah, maybe not the the main main reason. Like I, it's not like I put together a list of companies like, hey, these companies are going to IPO. I want to join them. It was more so like I had conviction in what Lyft was building. I had former colleagues that went over there um, and, you know, referred me to the company. So it was just an exciting mission, I think, at the time. This, this is going to... Uh, okay, okay, okay. I, I want to ask... and So there, there's, there's, there's a couple different questions I want to ask, but this one's just like coming to my mind just right now. And they... Ex Excuse me for being for this being a little bit blunt and just very candid and very real, but where you're at right now, because you're what thirty years old, twenty nine. Sorry to age you right now, yeah. twenty nine. Not to say that this says everything, but you're twenty nine and driving a Ferrari. Not to put it out there, but you're twenty nine driving a Ferrari. That was the life that I thought, and I wish I could be living right now now you're owning two companies and i'm like backtracking in my own mind of thinking like dang what did what did i do that didn't get me to to that point and so i'm trying to figure out like within your story what were those key decisions that you made that really i guess got you to 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 afford the rari and even like buy buy to homes in in california because like things are getting so difficult and i feel like there's a lot of value that you could be giving to, you know, people that are, are up and coming to, let's say, live in California and, and achieve, you know, nice things. Not that that's like the main purpose of it, um, but what were some of those like key strategic decisions that you think, or did it all just kind of happen in a simple manner? Yeah. It just happened. I just like snap my fingers, <laughs> pull the Thanos and voila. No, I, I guess before, before I answer your question though, um, I do want to say that, especially with like career paths and people's goals, like everyone has different goals and paths to get to where they want to be. It's definitely not a linear path. Like, you know, like both of us, you know, truly understand. Like I've seen people take completely different turns into different careers. And like, I just heard of a friend of a friend who's in France now teaching, teaching English after dropping out of his PhD studying biology. So I, th I think there's a lot of different, you know, I guess, paths to get to where people want to be. And obviously everyone has different goals. Um, and just my goal, my goals were, were a little bit different. Um, yeah. But yeah. But going back, to your, your, going back to your question though, 
uh, yeah, I, I kind of reflect on this, at least for my early jobs at like, yeah, Shift, Lyft, and Rivian. I, I think one, one common thread that they have is um, I've had strong mentorship throughout my career. Okay. So I remember like, for example, even at Shift, the only reason why I became a manager right out of college was uh, the general manager at the time. His name was Pablo. I still keep keep in touch with him. Shout out Pablo. Yeah, shout out to Pablo. He he was a strong advocate in me, and he, I guess he just kind of you know thought I was smart and capable of leading the team. And at the team at the time, he was leading the car enthusiast team. Um, but then he really wanted me to me to be like the manager of the team. He actually promoted me to assistant assistant manager when I was part time. And the team wasn't very happy about that because they're like, who the hell is this kid in, in like, you know, going to school and he's the, the manager now of, uh, uh, or he's my oh, manager. Shit. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, but anyway, like, I, I think it's important to have those like champions, like, especially internally at your company that could kind of recognize like maybe your upside or like maybe things that you can bring to the table that you just need to kind of develop as a person. Yeah. So that way they can go to bat with you and, you know, maybe talk to the CEO or whoever it was, right. To say, Hey, like, you know, Kyle deserves to be a manager and you know, here's why. What do you think that you did that separated yourself compared to everybody else? Like what, what caught Pablo's attention the most then to, for him to pay, take that chance on you? Yeah. Uh, just being me. I'm, I'm going to take a couple. Yeah, I'm going to take a couple guesses because I've I've not actually never had this like conversation with him to just kind of validate it. But I think one of them is um, being like generally passionate about what you're, what you're doing. Um, and then the reason why I'm saying generally is because like obviously, like for me, let's say if I I actually went down the fi like the finance route, I don't think I'd be happy. And therefore, I wouldn't be able to be generally like happy and and engaged as I'm proud I proud of your work. Yeah, got it. Um, because the thing that at Shift, right? Like, I love cars. I love cars before even I joined Shift. Um, so that was kind of icing on the cake to me. Where you know whatever problems I solve, like that was in the context of a passion of mine already. So mm -hmm. that that already kind of made it easier uh, for me and. Um, that also made me like naturally curious to where like, you know, not only would I accept like, okay, you know, Pablo says this, we should do this, but then also like trying to think about ways of how, how to do it better or maybe thinking about, you know, solutions that haven't been considered in the past and like rolling out with the team and, and testing it out. Um, so I think that level of like passion for myself and then also the curiosity of like, me asking questions, I think mm -hmm. position me probably a little bit better than other people on the team. Hmm. It's it's in so it started internally then and because you just enjoyed what you were doing, it, it translated to other people seeing that and then also giving praise for that too. Yeah. Huh. And okay, so it then then fast forward, I mean you're being a consultant then well you still are a consultant for like some some companies, right? Mm-hmm. Ed, okay. Yeah. Advisor and being a product manager did, uh, well, this lack, I mean, this definitely could be a dumb question then. Cause I think I'm answering it myself is it sounded like then you're 
you you took all of those experiences and then you took the experience of having of of leading products and and bringing them to market to then say hey i can also do this for you and then what mm, i don't want to ask that question because uh, i don't even know what that question was <laughs> <laughs> How did you make the transition then from cars to then now starting recruiting agencies? Yeah, um, I, th I think my start with that was, again, at Shift, like I started out as a manager. Before then, I was, I was also working at Office Max for probably two and a half years, like throughout high school and part, part of college, also as an assistant manager. So I think at that point, I already kind of appreciated like the aspect of people development and building a great team and, you know, running people through the interview process to figure out like who, who would be a strong addition to the company. Um, so I think that kind of like spurred my, my attraction to recruiting with OpenRec um, because I recognize that like early stage startups, a lot of the time there's, you know, Sometimes there's young founders who haven't had the experience to run a recruiting team or haven't even hired people in their past. Um, so I, I felt like it was more of like an aspirational thing of like solving a need in the market mm -hmm. where these people just didn't have the experience. You know, I had the experience of like, you know, managing pretty wide scale teams in the past and, and different, different kind of uh, different teams, like from operations and product management and, and other functions. Um, so I think that's what kind of pulled me towards that direction of like just helping people find awesome talent, build great teams and develop people. Because you started OpenRec in the middle of COVID, didn't you? Yeah, sure. July 2020. So yeah, a few months before things hit the fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, and it, well, and even even just like within that story too, and how did you how did you get the companies and the early startups that you ended up trying to fill the positions with take a chance on open rec like was that from previous relationships that you've already built through working at all these different startups that you just ended up staying connected or was were you like cold cold calling just cold outreach just trying to you know land a meeting until you got your first one it was it was probably both hmm. uh Definitely like the first few clients I had were definitely referral based. And I remember the the first company was an automotive repair startup in the Bay Area. I didn't know the founder directly, but then uh, a friend of a friend, um, they had connected me and they were hiring, you know, some like technician roles or operator roles. So I think with that was like, you know, they were taking a look at my background you know, like as I was talking with them, like they're like, okay, like Kyle says he's he can recruit. Like, what what can he recruit for? So I think the 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 puzzle piece kind of just like fit, just given mm -hmm. my background in automotive and then their need to hire people in the automotive space. Um, uh, but yeah, but it, it was mostly like you know a mixture of people that I just met throughout you know my career and uh at Shift and Lyft. Mm -hmm. I guess Rivian too. Now, were there any obstacles that you felt that were like, well, and I can imagine there was, there's obstacles that were newer 
especially with starting your own agency and your own company compared to some of the obstacles that you've ran into during your, let's say, like working career, not as an owner, right? Can you highlight some of those obstacles that you had starting it out? And even, I guess, even till now too, like what are some of those obstacles that you're facing now? Yeah, um, I think the, well, it, th this this obstacle kind of shifted uh, when I went full-time back in like August, 2022. Because uh, I guess at the same time, right, I was working at Rivian for like June, 2020, and I had left in August, 2022. So I was kind of running, like I was building open rec on the side and, and still doing my full-time job at Rivian. Um, so I, th I think the main obstacle that still keeps me up at night is just like the financial risk and liability. Um, specifically with OpenRec, I, I, I bootstrapped the thing. I had the, the mindset in mind of like, okay, I don't need like outside investors or fundraising for, for this. Um, but initially I, I dumped in like probably 20 to 30K mile money to hire like our first time, like first like part-time recruiter to help fill the roles. And with, with uh, the early days, the, all the contracts were kind of, you know, based on contingency, which means that we needed to basically do the work before even getting paid. So a lot of it was an investment, right, of resources. Um, so I'd say that, like, you know, and then the reason why that got even crazier for me when I left Rivian is because now my income isn't as diversified, you know, where I had the Rivian income, full-time income, open rec. Now it's like very indexed on open rec. So like the business income and profitability is very tied to like how much I make as, as an owner, um, just given, you know, the nature of our, our compensation structure. I can imagine the transition to be kind of scary. Just, just knowing that. And, and, and this is what I find so fascinating about you is you don't really show when, or at least like I haven't really seen through all the, through all the years that I've known you, I've never really seen you extremely stressed. You always seem really calm, poised, uh, and and just ready to rock no matter what's been thrown at you. It how <laughs> do you just handle that? I mean, are you just okay and easy to handle distress like that? And has that always just been, I guess, in your genes to, to be able to do so, lack of a better term? Yeah. Uh, I'd say yes and no. Uh, the reason for yes is because I think, um, i trying to think of some examples. Like, like maybe things at work, right? Like, uh, you know, when I was at Rivian, for example, I had other team members on my team. Um, and you know, maybe if we had like project timelines that were aggressive, like mm -hmm. they wouldn't really razzle me so much, but then they razzle other people on the team. So I, I think in that sense, like maybe I have a slightly higher resistance in, you know, what, what that stress threshold even looks like. Um, but at the same time, like I definitely do get stressed. I, I just feel like I'm better, a little bit better about internalizing it and processing it than some people you don't like uh, to take it out on people you don't like to uh just scream at any of your your, your employees yeah I just scream at my girlfriend I just yeah, scream scream at and your dog <laughs>
Yeah. But behind the scenes, though, off camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So nobody knows about it. Yeah. Uh, no, but uh, I mean, I, I definitely deal with stress and, you know, stress stress management has been, been a big thing ever since I got into a lot of the leadership roles. Like I, I even, even back in like the shift days in uh, call it like 2017, 2018, when I was running a team of 150 or so like people, um, there'd be like fires constantly at work, like every single day, even the weekends. So it'd be hard for me to kind of just shut off and really relax and detach myself from work. And I think that's when it first came to me of like, okay, stress is a real thing impacts my like mojo and you know stability mental mm-hmm. stability um so yeah I, I definitely get stressful but uh or stress but then i think i have a good way of like keeping composure especially because like you know i've been this been at this like team leader position in the past and i feel like if i were to outwardly show my stress all the time then your employees and your team members would kind of absorb that right um, lose confidence or Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I think just like managing the optics too. Like obviously I, I'll, I'll be honest about my stress with like friends like you. Um, but I think I'm, I'm a little bit more careful of like how I hourly display it at work. Hmm. That's fair. And I think there's a fine balance between the two as well. Cause there's, I was reading this, I forget the name of the book. I think it was, it was by Brene Brown, but it's like, I think it was called dare to lead. And there is this fine balance of not of of showing because there's power and vulnerability in, in being a leader and like showing them who you are, but then you also have to shield them from certain information as well to make sure that they are empowered to do stuff themselves. And so what are some of the ways that you've been managing your stress? You, you mentioned that you're you've been getting better at managing it, um, considering some of the obstacles that you've had. Uh, are are you just meditating a lot? Are you just eating better? You still going to, you still going to Equinox? <laughs> I'm um, highlighting your your soup your 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 cool life. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're getting, exposed. Like, you're getting exposed. But I, I and, and you know I kind not that I want to expose you, but it's like <laughs> you're doing so many cool things and and having like very nice things and and. You, not that it on the on the outside it seems like it's simple, but it it just seems like you're doing well. And I just wanna wanna shout out to the world that I feel like I made it because my friend's doing doing well. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, pro- probably all of the above. Like I've tried. I, I had a stint where I was doing meditation every day, and that that wasn't bad. Yeah. Um, I think my current kind of fix so when i'm feeling stress is probably just working out honestly and uh i'm fortunate enough to like my my place down in san diego i have a gym that's in a two minute walking distance so i can't make the excuse of like oh it's too far you know i can just like hop over during lunchtime just when i usually work out and like hit the rowing machine and some weights and then that usually helps kind of stabilize my uh my stress Mm. now let's throw carol in the mix then i mean obviously you've you've been with carol for some time now and i can't imagine her also bringing more stress either um has she played a pretty big foundation to some of the success that you've had and also in creating open rec too or i mean growing open rec and flex work 
Yeah, I'd say so. I think she's similar to me in the sense that she's also fairly good at stress management. Hmm. And I think the maybe the correlation there is she's also like an operations uh, manager at, at Rivian. Um, so she she's pretty good at, at kind of managing stress. And then um, I think she could also she also understands like some aspects of like at least like people management, team management. Whenever I have like challenges there, you know, I can like openly talk to her about it. Um, yeah, she's been overall like supportive. Like she she doesn't like she always advocates for me, and she's she's not like oh you know you should join a startup, you know you should join like a larger company for stability. Like I think she appreciates the the level of risk the level of risk <laughs> tolerance that I have and my my ambition. Well, it seems like you two balance each other out. And it also seems like there's, uh, well, all right. No, sorry. You, you better like censor that. When you do that. <laughs> <laughs> the people that are listening to this, I just pointed to my ring finger and <laughs> it sounds like it's, uh, along the way. All right. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Have you taught her how to tut yet? What was that? You taught her how to tut. This guy, uh, I haven't this guy also danced. He danced with me. He didn't dance on any cruise, but he would always do like this little tutting combo. And I was like, whoa. We always had great times dancing. Yeah. Loose, very loosely danced. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do any, I didn't do any, uh, yeah, like structured yeah. dancing or horses. Or just whenever we were at the park and you just wanted to throw on a speed <laughs> and then just throw down and be like, look at the cool shapes I'm making. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So, so now moving forward then into 2024 and even just like the next 10 year goal. Ooh, let's see how do I want to bring this. Well, I mean, for us, I, and I, and I think about this till this day. I remember back in 2014, you were like, you know what, Taylor? Years down the line, we're going to be in Miami <laughs> drinking uh, at the penthouse and just enjoying our wealthy lives together. I can't wait for that time. Okay. To come. I can't believe you remember that. You remember that though, right? You remember telling me that. Yeah. That's when I was... That was when I was with my ex at at the time too, and I think I was feeling really down or really bad. But I I I still remember that to this day, and I just want to let you know, like I I still am looking forward to that moment when we are in Miami to be able to to share that special moment because it 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 is one of those moments that I feel like has has pushed me to continue to always strive and be better. Um, and I just want to say thank you just for being uh, just one of those inspirations in in my life. Um, and you know, speaking of inspirations and even moving forward now, I wanted to know what is next for Kyle? Like, what are you looking to do within the next like five, 10 years? Uh, and I guess, yeah. What, what, yeah. What are, what are you looking to do the next five, 10 years? That's a big question. It is a big question. Uh, I can speak to it. Like, uh, I guess maybe high level goals to start. Sure. Uh, Fuck it. Let it run. Yeah. I think uh, we we probably talked about this in the past, but like one of my, I guess one of my drivers to, um, I guess, make more money or start a company or whatever, um, 
So I'll just like, I guess it, it's fun for me, but then also I, I'm aiming for a level of financial freedom to where, you know, I can take care of my family, like retire my parents and uh, essentially put them in a place where they'll need to worry about money. Um, same with my, my siblings too. Like I just remember when I was a lot younger, um, and even in like college, for example, like I was fortunate enough to where um, my parents took care of um, my tuition, and my um, not my board, just tuition and like some food. Um, so I was always very fortunate about that. And you know, college is not uh, not cheap, especially in the days. Um, so yeah, I, I think just like having that that need to like give back to them in the future mm -hmm. and take care of them, like I think that's obviously going to take a lot of money. But then you know, my my goal. Uh, my goal is to like have financial freedom for like, not just me, but you know, for my family. It's interesting. Did you ever think about like trying to get into real estate or like some of those other, Oh, well, I guess you did start off in financial services. Cause like whenever somebody says like, Oh, financial freedom, they always like, Oh, you know, buy rentals, buy houses and, and do this. But you took the more of the riskier path. Did you know that it was going to be, take a lot more capital and also more, I guess, uh, wealth to be able to do so than than you thought did did I ask the question correctly? I think you know what I was saying. Um yeah, yeah, like comparing I guess comparing the startup and entrepreneurship path versus like just buying real estate or something or buying something right. that's traditional uh wealth creation. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I knew the risk and, you know, I, I've always been kind of like a methodical person in terms of like, let's say for a startup, right? Like when I get an offer, I look at the equity, we, we had this conversation recently, like how, how much is that equity actually, like, what does that right. mean in the context of the company, like the company's valuation and like trying to figure out like, okay, is this even like feasible? you know, fears down the road when I actually like maybe sell the equity or like there's some kind of exit in the company. Like what does that even look like for me? Um, so yeah, I, I've thought about it and I, I've actually like, I signed up for uh, classes, like real estate classes. I just never followed, followed through with it because I wanted to you do did? Like, part Yeah, part-time realtor. Uh, what? I didn't yeah, know this. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I decided like, yeah, it's probably not for me. And I, I still like like the, you know, I guess the the building part of, you know, being in a startup or like my own business. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, I guess like for me, it's not just like the, not just the, uh, not not about the upside solely. It's also about like the, the journey and to get there and like what kind of people like you meet especially like network I built. Um, so yeah. And then I also like, maybe this is uh, contrary to popular belief, but. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, break some, like, break uh, some people's dreams. Come on, say it. <laughs> I know, I know what you, actually, I don't know what you're going to say. Say it. Uh, yeah. I mean, real estate, right? Like, I, I still think there's there's value in it for wealth creation and I have a you know property in the Bay Area and then about to close close on one in San Diego. Um I still think it's like 
very viable. And obviously there's, you know, houses appreciate every year. You're, you're smiling like you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I, am, I know exactly what you're going to say because I think the same thing. Because, uh, But yeah. continue. I'll, I'll, I'll chime in after. Yeah. Um, yeah. And real estate is like, you know, obviously a very safe investment, at least for maybe like, you know, I, I don't know anything about commercial, but like call it residential, right? Like if you look at just like the past 20 years of appreciation, you know, you're bound to like buy a property and have it be worth like, you know, five X more or whatever, you know, 10 or 15 years later. Um, I think that what I like about entrepreneurship is that obviously the volatility, the risk is a lot higher, especially because you're, you're building a business that doesn't have a physical presence, like real estate, like real estate has like that tangible value. All businesses like, you know, sometimes it's kind of like a concept, you know, or like some uh, numbers on a spreadsheet. Like it's not not a tangible thing. Um, so with that, there's like just more more risk involved and, and a, a less clear path of like, how do I make money? But it's a lot more fun for me. And then I also think that you could become a lot, I guess, richer, faster. There's probably better words for that, but richer, faster than, you know. <laughs> Invest, investing like similar amounts of capital in, into into real estate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and to piggyback off of that too, and, and uh, if people hear me say this, I feel like well, just don't come after me. But but I I agree because I I, I think that oh, owning owning real estate, I I think is still a great vehicle. But also at the same time too, I think people still need to understand that they, they need to buy right. I think the the simple terms of like, oh, you know, you just buy a home and then you rent it out and then that's it. Like if if you're if if you're renting it out and it still doesn't cover your mortgage, like you're gonna be paying more out of pocket just to try and pay off that house. And the thing is, it's like now it's now it's gonna take so long for you to save up just to buy the next home. I mean, yeah, yeah. sure, you're building equity, but I mean, I don't know how much equity you're going to be building it. It's just, it's just so much slower, right? And then I think even comes down to the line of uh, you know, the the idea with generational wealth and making sure like your family is taken care of. Ninety percent of assets are are that are that are within a family are gone by the third generation, hmm. which is mind blowing to me because at that point the third generation comes around. I mean, the intent was to like have these homes stick within the family, but then by the third generation, they, they it just goes and they sell it and they're just trying cap like capitalize on the money for, and it's probably somebody that doesn't really appreciate it. They're just like, yeah, I just kind of need the funds. And then they want to do, I uh, do whatever they want, whatever else they want to do with it. And so like, in my opinion, I think it's more about passing along the skill set of being able to build that wealth. Um, and then also scale. I think it goes way past the assets itself, um, but it's more of just the yeah. skill of being able to build it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, yeah. Full, full disclaimer: I think real estate's still a stable investment. But yeah, to your point, it's it's how you do it. I think will will kind of set that tone. Yeah, and one house isn't really going to get you retired, nor is like one investment, right? one job. I mean, I think it's just a matter of getting reps and, and skills. So, you know, similar in echoing what you're going to say, but I, I do agree the velocity of capital 
of the velocity of how quick you can make your your money back and 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 profit from it definitely a lot higher in, in businesses which is also something that yeah i mean you put me on in terms of like buying small businesses i think it's going to be an opportunity that sounds like you're going to be trying to take advantage of moving forward that's all it, it sounds like you're trying to start your own family office so you can start acquiring more small businesses yes uh yeah I, i'm probably wouldn't say a family office because family office means i have a tremendous amount of wealth to invest <laughs> but <laughs> you have a rari already man it's gonna be there it's, it's the willingness to pay okay, uh that's fair yeah, I, I think there's, uh, you know, there there's this uh, phrase going on right in in the market called the silver tsunami. It's kind of funny, um, but it's essentially the, the thousands of, of baby boomers that are looking to retire in the next ten years. They own a disproportionate amount of small businesses and like traditional businesses and like mom and pop shops, right? That you'd see in like downtown or something. Um, so yeah, so I, I definitely think there's like opportunity there. Um, like prices for those types of businesses have definitely gone down a lot, but then obviously like we have the opposing force of interest rates, which makes like doing these leverage buyouts that I'd probably want to do a lot more capital intensive. It's just like cost of capital, just way too high. Um, yeah, I definitely want to get into that and, you know, um, as I mentioned before, too, I'm looking to sell uh, my barrier house and then pump that money into maybe a, a small business or two. I want to pump my money into a small business with you, too, man. <laughs> now, I just invited myself to the partnership. But and well, I mean, I, right now, have you looked at what type of small businesses that you would buy? Like, are, are you going to stick within the recruiting realm? Or are you going to try and stick with like buying a mechanic shop? Like what are, yeah. what are some of the, some of those criteria that you're looking at? Uh, I think it'd go either way. I think it might depend also on if on the deal really. Um, I think there's a few verticals uh, like you mentioned, like I think staffing, staffing recruiting, that could be really interesting just to have like a, Maybe in addition to like my current business, maybe just a completely different vertical like that, just like like more like horizontal expansion play. Um, but then also, yeah, I think like businesses like HVAC, auto repair, um, mostly like B two B service based businesses. I think those are interesting. Line up well with like the skills I've developed over the years, especially with OpenREC. Hmm. And the the prices on the market right now aren't as competitive as you know the car washes of the world or like the, the, the industries that there's a lot of like you know private equity investors um, at that play. Mm. And then would you? I'm assuming you'd go through like an S, SBA loan then just to try and take these down. Uh, that's the current thinking. It. Oh, okay. That's current thinking. Yeah, okay. That's the current thinking. Uh, I, I'm still like, I'm still educating myself on more of the other kind of, you know, I guess dead vehicles to consider. Yeah. You got to also consider, uh, probably doing outside investments for the actual down payment and just do a full leverage buyout where I just have like 
you know, maybe I'll just cover the initial uh, closing costs or like the lawyer fees or whatever, but then essentially I'm not paying any, any money from um, my bank account to buy the business. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's well, I'm excited for that time when you do buy that business. Also, when you sell your, your Bay area home, I don't know if anybody's here listening is looking for to buy a Bay area home in Hayward, Hayward, Castro Cash Valley. Yeah, Fairview. Yeah. Fairview. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just reach out to Kyle. And if Kyle, if people want to learn more about you, want to reach out and hear more about your story, where can they reach you? Yeah, I'm probably the most active on LinkedIn. So if you just search up my name and you'll find me. And then, yeah, feel free to reach out. Cool. And those will be in the show notes. Kyle, thank you so much for joining the show. I appreciate your time. I can't wait for the action items episode that's going to be coming out on Friday. I'll see everybody later. Yeah. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks for having me. Cool. Thanks for listening to the Taylor Coop podcast. If you gain any value out of this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you share this with your friends. Hopefully they can get the same value as well as you did. And also leave a comment or review on whatever podcasting platform that you're listening on. I appreciate your time. Thank you for joining me and I'll see you at the next episode.